Are we recording? Ba da ba ba da ba 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 ba. No, too much, too much, too much, too much. Hey everybody, welcome to Ducks Watch Together. I'm Josh. I'm here. I'm Pokemon trainer Kylie. And on today's episode, and I want a battle. And on today's episode, and on today's episode, we talk about the top ten best superhero films, part two. Part two. This is. Five through one, one through five, whatever you want to say. If you want are interested in our six through ten, uh, go back to the last episode to figure out what uh, a more in-depth conversation, but we can run through them really fast. Um, my ten is The Rocketeer, nine Batman Returns, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1, clocks in at eight, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse at number seven, and Logan at number six. Kylie, what are your six through ten? Oh, remember... <laughs> You're like, I got rid of my list. It's gone forever. Hellboy, Avengers, Wonder Woman, Guardian. No, Crow, and then Guardians. There you go. Nice. Fantastic. Uh, friends, for our, in, in place of an inquiry of the half fortnight, we have a ranking to do here now. Um, this ranking goes for Avengers Endgame. And we will try to do this spoiler-free, uh, but we need to rank where this version of Thanos goes in our Marvel Cinematic Universe Avengers ranking, as we have not done that yet. And so as we close out our Avengers two weeks here, our Fortnite in the MCU and other superhero films, we will rank our friend Thanos. Did we rank Thanos in Infinity War? Mm-hmm. Where is Thanos in Infinity War? He's right above Robert Redford and right below uh, Michael B. Jordan. Ooh, so he's pretty high. Mm-hmm. Do you consider this in a continuation of that character? No. No, it's mm-hmm. his own thing. Yeah. Okay, so with that being said, um, would you put him above or below... Infinity War Thanos. Below. Below and agreed. Yes. Not, I don't think he's a bad villain. I just think that he's less, he's less interesting in this film. His, his part of the process is, is done. We're mostly just trying to defeat him at this point. Okay. Um, who's below Redford? Daniel Brühl. <laughs> who's below Brühl? Jeff Bridges. Okay, okay. Man, we went high on Brule. <laughs> Man, there's that one scene. There's that one scene with him and Black Panther that I love. Okay, what's below Bridges? Michael Keaton. Okay, keep going. Kurt Russell. Okay, I think I found our, I think I found my line. Okay. What what are you feeling about it? Yeah, he's pretty bland is the thing. Okay, we can keep going. No, 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 no. I mean, like, I mean, like, we have Hannah John Kamen, who I want to put above. Wait, who? (laughs) Hannah John Kamen from uh, Ant-Man 2. Oh, okay. Ghost. You want to put above this Thanos? I want Thanos right underneath her. That's fine. Okay. Right underneath her. Yeah. So what's the order then? It goes. It would go Russell from the top. No. (laughs) Give me like two above, two below. Russell Crowe, Hannah John, Kamet, so Ghost. Uh, Thanos, this one, Lee Pace, James Spader. Yeah, that seems right. That (laughs) seems right. I'll give him 
right about first Ronin level. You're right. We gave Daniel Pulsuit a run. Although, listening through that, I'm like, maybe the only one that I would put Brule, like I'd swap now, is Obadiah Stain. Like, I might put Obadiah above him. Obadiah Stain above. Daniel Brule. Daniel Brule is just incredibly lucky in that film. He really is. If I'm gonna be. But he's really, like, I'm wondering if I'm giving that performance the credit that character the credit for the performance because I actually think Daniel Brühl gives a really good performance in that part Mm -hmm. and without him in there that that might be not the case not the case yeah why are you doing it to avenge his family yeah he says there are too many of you superheroes it's a unique motivation which I know I really appreciate now I'm going to talk myself into keeping him here um Blank checkpoint is something out that I didn't realize till now. Uh-huh. But Robert Redford and Thanos' plans were the same. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I get more angry with Thanos, however, just because, like, you have all the power in the universe. Can't we try something else first? Couldn't you try to be like, more supplies? Yeah, let's... Like, I don't know if those stones, like, you have to take the supplies from other things, or if you can create them, but he talks about how, like, just recreate the Earths yeah. and everything, so it's just like, oh. Well, it seems like something you can do. Yeah, so, like, why don't we try more research sources? Yeah. I mean, this is why he's the mad titan. Ugh. Yeah, there you go. Friends, if you want to tell us about your <laughs> ranking of the Marvel Cinematic Universe villains, you can do so at friend of a friend podcast at squarespace.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes and leave a five star review or any star review. Uh, and hit that subscribe button. Mm, clink, clink, clink. <laughs> clank. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, you can also find us on Facebook at friend of a friend podcasts. What? Is that on your list? This? No. Okay. No. Okay. I mean, it's not... It might be in the top 25? Sneaks into the top 25 at 24. (laughs) How far did you make this list? 118. Oh, you just did all of them? Yeah. You ranked every single one? Yeah. I can tell you my top... My bottom 10 also. Okay. Um, can I guess it? Oh, that's fun. Hang on, let me... And this is just for the ones Four, you've seen, five, right? 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Yes. I'm, which is a lot of them. I, there's very few that I haven't. Electra Is not in the bottom 10. Fantastic Four. Um, be more specific. Rise of the Sur- Silver Surfer. That is number 9 in my bottom 10. What about the first one? Um, no. <clears throat> Not here. Kick-Ass 2. Ooh, Kick-Ass 2 is not here. Daredevil. Daredevil is not here. <laughs> These are There are a lot of really terrible superhero films. Iron Man 2. Nope. Yeah, no. There's some, there's some good in Iron Man 2. Spider-Man 3. Not here either yet. X3, The Last Stand. Sorry, not here. Deadpool 2. No. This is not a fun game. <laughs> I mean, there's some really bad ones. 
Uh, there are, like, th- four, like, epically terrible movies. Catwoman. Catwoman is number one. The worst. Sin City. No, that's I not a comic book. Didn't that's a consider comic it book. to be a superhero movie. Yet. Watchmen. Uh, no, Watchmen. I, I don't hate Watchmen completely. Hint. Okay, um, you are not done with the Fantastic Four franchise. Fantastic Four, the not Jessica Alba one. Fan Four Stick. Oh! Okay, sorry, I was going like the original. Oh, no, that one. No, Fan Four Stick is here, though. It is three. It's Fan Four Stick. Yeah, fair. You're, you are right, yeah. <laughs> uh, because it just takes out the A. Yes. Yeah. Um... Um, you've got Punisher. No, Punisher Warzone is eleven. Hulk. No. Ant Man. You've got. I mean, these are some like all timey, like just garbage ones. <laughs> um, do you want to start at ten or do you want to start at two next? Ten. Ten. A sequel to a lesser known Batman and Robin. That is my number four. Okay. There you go. Uh, a sequel to a lesser known uh, Marvel character, still relatively known. Blade 2. Directed by the Crank guys. Blade 3. Ghost no. Rider, Spirit of Vengeance. Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance. Okay. What about Ghost Rider 1? Um, it's slightly higher. <laughs> it's not much higher. Um, alright. Uh, let's see. Next up is Ryan Reynolds' second forte into the superhero genre. Green Lantern. Green Lantern. Second the forte. Yeah. This is first. That one is my number five. Oh, I forgot. Stupid Wolverine. Stupid Origins. X Men Origins. Wolverine. Here we go. See, you're getting there. You're getting there. Oh. All right. Whew, all right. Here we go. Um, uh, number. Mm, let's see. You've got eight, nine, ten, seven. Who, uh, the worst of the OG superhero franchise? Superman 4, Quest for Peace. There you go. Um, my least favorite, uh, film from my most favorite hero. I said Spider-Man 3 already. Which is not my least favorite Spider-Man. Oh. Man, I blocked out so much. Spider-Man, the Amazing Spider-Man 2. The Amazing Spider-Man 2. You got X-Men Wolverine, you have Batman and Robin. The last one is 2. The second worst all-time. Mystery Men. Full titles, please. I love Mystery Men. That's actually, like, in my honorable mentions. V for Vendetta. Full titles, please. The V for Vendetta. No, no, no. Your clue for what the film is is full titles, please. Oh, Batman v Superman. Dawn of Justice. There you go. Yeah. Where's Suicide Squad? Um, it's right after Punisher Warzone. That was too high. It's <laughs> there was a song I liked in that movie. So listen to it on YouTube! Yeah, but like, literally, there are so many terrible... Like, Punisher Warzone, Steel, Suicide Squad, X3, Judge Dredd, Elektra, Jonah Hex, oh, okay, Daredevil, okay, Blade go back, Trinity. Go back a second. Yeah, what? Judge Dredd. Sylvester sorry, Stallone. Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, sorry. Kick-Ass 2, Spider-Man 3, Ghost Rider, Constantine. We are like 20-some deep here. These are all terrible movies. I kind of like Constantine. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows, Justice League. 
This is how high Justice League is. I hate all of these films. Okay, great. Born. Yeah. Born identity. Oh, I did not consider him to be a superhero. He might as well be. Look at how high Venom and Deadpool 2 get to be. I forgot Venom. Yeah. Eddie. Uh, I have a weird hate for Astro Boy. Eddie, on my planet, I'm a loser. Oh, goodness. (laughs) On our planet, you're a loser still. Um, I had a game to replace the Planet Hollywood game, but we'll have to play it at the very end. It's a game for you. Eddie. There we go. But Eddie. for now, let's move on and talk about our top fives. Hey, I, I'll go first this time because my five is easy peasy lemon squeezy. It's Marvel's The Avengers. Okay, my number five is Logan. Wait, okay, great. <laughs> Hang on. We talked about both Logan and Marvel's The Avengers on the last one. Um, The only thing that I was thinking about that I didn't talk about in Marvel's The Avengers, which I love The Avengers. I think it's, to me, the epitome of the team-up movie. It works just on every level to bring these characters together. I love the con- conceit that we're gonna they're not gonna be friends at first not a unique conceit but like one that really works we have to spend time letting them learn to be a team which then makes the battle of new york even more satisfying and like that to me is like an epic all-time great action sequence. I also like that they're not really friends yes right <laughs> ever yeah in this film like the closest we get to friends is shawarma we should get shawarma, right? Shawarma? Like... The only friendships in this are Black Widow and Hawkeye. And she has to beat him. You and I remember Budapest very differently. I yep. remember it just fine. <laughs> Man, I wanted a reveal of what Budapest was. <gasps> Can we get a movie with them together that's just called Budapest? That, that would... That's that's a Disney Plus idea. Oh, okay, okay, <laughs> <laughs> great. Uh, but yeah, Marvel's The Avengers. Uh, did you have any thoughts on Logan that you hadn't shared? No. All right, number four. I know I haven't watched it in black and white. I also like the colors. No, the colors are really good too. Okay, I like the colors. No, it's good. The it, sunset because it's the sunset of our characters. Yes. Oh, that works so well in both. No, like, I it's, it's great to love that version for and what it's presented Patrick in. Patrick Stewart is essentially, like, when he's dying, he's so afraid of death, and you're just like, I can't help you. And then he gets stabbed by not Logan. Yeah. Can I... Can I tell you underrated moment in all of maybe film history? Patrick Stewart rolling around quoting Taco Bell commercials... <laughs> It's kind of everything I ever need in life. It's so good. Well, you know, he was pretty close to it in The Kid Who Would Be King. <laughs> magic, magic, magic. Taco Bell. Taco Bell. Fried chicken. All right, Kylie, number yeah. four is... Um, my number four is Captain America, The Winter Soldier. I have that. Crossover. Crossover. It's my number three. Number three. Nice. I think we've had a bit of crossover, and that's okay. It's because Sam Wilson's here, and he's... Because Sam... He's on your left. He's on my left. (laughs) (laughs) Sam Wilson is, like... I feel like the most... (laughs) the The underrated character that I'm always like, No! Sam needs more to do! Yeah. Give Anthony Mackie everything! I'm worried, um, 
Uh, end game spoiler. Skip ahead 30 seconds, friends. Spoiler, spoiler, 30 second spoiler. Please go to your phone and get there there now. I'm worried that Sam Wilson, Captain America, will be relegated to Disney Plus only. Because that's, I know there's talk of a show for him there. And I'm like, no, give him a movie. Give him everything. Give him all the things. Give him everything. All right. Sam Wilson's great. He, Sam Wilson is wonderful. Oh, hear me out. Yeah. Don Cheadle, Anthony Mackie above the title in... <laughs> The sidekicks. <laughs> oh, can I throw can I throw a third one in there? And like at first you may not think, but definitely a sidekick as well. Paul Rudd. Anthony Mackie, Josh <laughs> Hino, Paul Rudd, the sidekicks. <laughs> he... oh, man, that's the biggest disappointment. She didn't do anything. She should have killed Thanos. She should have. She would have gone into like his ear. The gun pig. <laughs> yeah, the internet's so sad that Ant Man didn't fly into his butt and explode. He can't fly. What's has to do it? Fair, yeah. I told you that. Wasp would have murdered him. She has a taste for blood, and she needs more. She's busy. I don't know, trying to get the gauntlet a hundred feet. <laughs> Women aren't very good at it. <laughs> yeah, but we do get that moment where Spider-Man rides a unicorn with Valkyrie, and I'm on board with it. <laughs> it's a Pegasus, not a unicorn. It's fair enough. <laughs> you are correct. More Sam Wilson. <laughs> okay, so... I... I like the chemistry between him and Sam. Like, I feel it. Captain I Sam? I feel that he cares about him. Mm -hmm. Bucky Barnes... I don't know if it's Sebastian Stan or the script or a combination of everything that I'm yelling about, but I don't get a sense when they're in the first one. I get a sense of their friendship. Uh-huh. Post the first one. I am just like, meh. Interesting. I will say that the one of the reasons why Winter Soldier works, one of the many reasons why- Well, if Winter Soldier works the most because, like, their connection is not as, like- it's not a focus of it. Yes. But, like, when you get to something like Civil War, and he's like, Bucky, I gotta save you. And I'm just like, no, Why? Sam Wilson, save Sam Wilson. <laughs> um, it's the only time in Civil War when Tony's like, I was your friend, too. And I was like, oh, yeah, Tony's right. Like, this is the one time where I was like, oh, yeah, Tony, like, you, you're right. But Tony's right occasionally. I get no, that no. Tony is... Oh, but in Civil, Civil, Civil War. War specifically. Okay. Tony's wrong a lot in Civil War. Well, yeah. yeah. Tony's... Freaking out. Um, he's uh, very emotional. Um, but I don't love their initial setup in the first Avenger between Stan and Evans. I think it's fine. It works the best when he's tiny Evans. But through the rest of the film, you're like, oh, I guess you just kind of have to be here to set up future things. <laughs> and you, then you got to fall out of a train. All right, great. It's the best moments. <laughs> well, Chris Sell... The only reason why it works when he falls out of a train is because Chris Evans just won't quit. He won't quit. He won't quit. I, I could do this all day. I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, the Winter Soldier is the first time that we see the Russos come on board with an idea, uh, with as the directing team. And they come on there board... There was an idea. There, there was, was once an idea. <laughs> the Russos. Where we made... 
Um, Blake Check talks about how the Russos got their start. Have you heard it? Um, I haven't heard the Winter Soldier episode yet. Can I tell you how they yes. say they got this start? Yes, absolutely. I might need your help. Okay. Steven Soderbergh? Uh-huh. Is that a director? Yep, mm-hmm. iPhone guy. Um, he's way more than iPhone guy, I know. <laughs> but recently, he's iPhone guy. <laughs> um, he... There's not Sundance, but, like, some, like, lesser... Slam dance? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, they had a film at Slam Dance, and Soderbergh was there, because Soderbergh's, like, down with the system. Do you know the difference between Sundance and Slam Dance? The ones that couldn't get into Sundance go to Slam Dance? Slam Dance is, like, a smaller version of Sundance. So, like, Sundance put Slam Dance on as, like, what we're like, this is what we used to be, and then we got taken over a little bit by a Hollywood machine. So we have this smaller festival. Well, Soderbergh's at a big slam fest yeah. with a guy. And so he saw one of the Russo's films. I don't think, like, I think, like, because they have, like, something that's before you, me, and Dupree. But okay. anyways, nah. he was like, oh, yeah, these guys are good. And then they were like, please, please help us get a Marvel movie. Please, we're begging you. And he, like, goes to Kevin Feige. He's like, so these two nerds won't leave me alone. <laughs> I'm sure he's a lot nicer about it all. No, that's, that's exact <laughs> quote. And Kevin Feige's like, I'm a nerd. <laughs> Bring them on over. And they're like, we want to do Captain America. And he's like, fine, no one cares about that character. <laughs> Captain America matters to a lot of people. But I don't think that we were like, you know what? Captain America, top tier. Well, it's genius to take him and be the man of time scenario. And I've said this before that, like, I think that's why Superman is struggling, whereas Captain America is not, is because he was allowed to be this man of time where his values were in direct opposition to the values of everybody around him. And that is interesting. That makes that character more compelling. And it makes him, uh, us be able to say, oh... Maybe we have lost something in our transition. And not in the, like, make America great again way, but in the, like, oh. Respect. Respect sort of People. way. In that there was a different time with different values that honor different things than we do. And maybe it's okay to look back on that and find the good with the bad. Because there's, there's, there's both in all times. Yeah. And, and I, I, with what, 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 what Winter Soldier does... That's this is my number three. So like I'm just gonna I'll just, yeah, just get through it. It's good. The other thing that Winter Soldier does that's so good is that it takes it gives Captain America one person that's similar to him in his values, which is Sam Wilson. Uh-huh. Sam Wilson's a more Sam Wilson is the closer modern day of a Captain America. Yeah. Which is like his core values. And he gives them also two people, one and a half really, who are almost opposition to Captain America. Okay. In the form of Nick Fury and Black Widow. Yeah. And they all team up together in this kind of way. And, it, and for the most part, it's Captain America and Black Widow, who Black Widow is the one, he, Nick Fury has a quote where like, you're only comfortable with certain things. Natasha's comfortable doing anything. Yeah. And so like, you know, you need her to go steal some things. She's yeah. got this. And so what it does is it pits him with these people who have different core values than him, but it doesn't make him 
look down upon them yeah. as people. Maybe a lot of people look down upon them as actions, but he also realizes, you know, sometimes we need the sneaky sneaks of Black Widow here. And I think that what it does is it allows Captain America to respect what's unique about Black Widow and Black Widow to respect what's unique about him. And they get to learn from each other and finding out that being one monolithic way isn't always the best path forward, which is why I think in some future MCU films, in uh, Civil War, not so much Civil War, I was at Infinity War in particular, Cap takes a real hard line with this hard line of, we won't trade lives. And that's something that I feel like Steve Rogers as a character has actually moved past, you know, in that way of, in Winter Soldier, we see a more nuanced version of Captain America that we lose a little bit going forward until maybe again in Endgame. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the things that I love about this film are the way that, like you are saying with the character dynamics, they really play up and the story helps us get from character moment to character moment. The actual plot of this movie is pretty pretty sparse. You know, there is the Robert Redford Hydra plot and there's Winter Soldier hunting everybody down. And that's pretty much the plot of this movie. And it just goes to me from little character scene to little character scene. Um, and I love the way that like, so there is the two scenes that Captain America and Nick Fury have back to back. One, they're fighting over this idea, like verbal fighting over the idea of how much power and control is too much power and control. Is that the lunch bag conversation? Lunch bag conversation. I or, think so. Or like his, he always talks about like his grandpa used to carry or his dad someone yes. used to carry around the sack. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And that's that conversation. Um, And then basically saying why it's okay for S.H.I.E.L.D. to have these hovercrafts that are going to take everybody's data and track them everywhere and cap saying no that's wrong to the next conversation they have is after nick fury has been attacked and nick fury is saying you're the only person i can trust mm -hmm. and i love that those are the two scenes that that bookend each other in that sequence because again this goes to this higher conversation that the film is having about us needing to work with People who may or may not have all of our same values, but know that they're on the right side of the conversation and the right side of the battle, so to speak. And and I don't think that this film necessarily looks down upon the different sides of the conversation, except for in terms of Hydra and, and those that become the enemy and the different thing there. But they're clearly set aside as Nazi supporters and Hydra supporters and stuff along those lines. Yeah, it, it paints its villains as very... It's very black and white with mm -hmm. the good and evil. It's very it's very black and white with the villain. It's a little bit more gray with like the Nick Fury, Natasha, yes. and all of that, which makes it more interesting. But when you bring in the villains, you're like, oh, no, no, they're villains. They're wrong. And, I mean, if it was a different world where we didn't kind of have to try to appeal to four quadrants and know this is a giant thing, it would be interesting to not make the Robert Redford character... Hydra, mm -hmm. and just say, no, I have the right to be surveillance team of the world because I have the technology to do so. 
versus I'm going to try to destroy half the world because they're not Hydra. It's just a really small thing that I think could have made this great film even better. They're not Hydra. It's that they're a threat to Hydra. Nah, there you go. Stephen Strange. Stephen Strange. What? That guy? Really? Which makes me go like, what are you... Who is so... How do we know already that he's a threat? <laughs> at this point, it's... they In that speech, they say Bruce Banner, Stephen Strange, and a kid from Iowa. I thought it was... Oh, okay. Yeah. Who's the kid from Iowa? Do we know? Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's like... I mean, it doesn't I, have I, to be anybody, Ty but... Simpkins. Yeah, great. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> sure. He's not tied to do something. He stood there. <laughs> shh, shh, shh. Too much. <laughs> Um, and I think that also another thing that this film does is that, uh, I, uh, before this movie, I always thought about Nick Fury as a Boba Fett type character where uh-huh. it's like, oh man, he's cool. And that's all there is. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> Look how cool he is. Yeah. Um, but in this film, like we finally get to see him actually yeah. be cool and we give Nick Fury something to do and we get to see like oh Nick Fury is also yes. this great spy this great like battler in the faces of evil but no running no, no I'm in a car yeah. I'm in a car and I'm gonna shoot things no running it's good it's a good yeah. car yeah absolutely it's a good car yeah it's a good car it's a good car <laughs> Yeah, I just, this movie is really great. It's probably my favorite use of this Black Widow character. Um, I just, I, I adore everything about this movie. And the fight sequences, so I know this helps to establish the house style of Marvel, but the fight sequences seem a little more extreme here. They seem like they're a little more trying to go for some real world we see a lot more longer static shots of the fighting uh instead of the like cgi like previs handheld like not handheld like long for like this is fight sequences there is actual logical fight sequences that are happening through the majority of the film which like captain america is one of the characters that you can do that with because captain america I'm like, yeah, he has a shield, but otherwise he's kind of, like, lame. He's, he's, I mean, I love Captain America. I will defend him to the end of this earth. He's, his powers are the... Ex- Suddenly better than Batman. <laughs> he's the absolute extremes of human capability yes. is what it's listed as. So, yeah. And I, I love that about him. Um, This is not my, uh, for a long time, Winter Soldier was my, f- what I consider to be the best film in the MCU. It is not the best film in the MCU anymore to me, but this is the most representative of the MCU and the highest on this list to me. I think that this, in terms of what the crossovers can be and what the storytelling on the, in the massive level can be, I think that this is the pinnacle of that. My... My other MCU film that's going to come up, I believe, stands alone a lot more than what Winter Soldier does. Oh my gosh, what do you have? Why do you have Dark Knight on your film? Oh, there's a film on your list then that I did not think was on your list. Do I have ten films? (laughs) One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. No, I have ten. All right, here we go. We might just have all crossovers. And I at this talked point. about five last time. Yeah. No, there's something off. How many more films do you have? Yeah, yeah. Three. three. You got three more films. Yeah, I went first. Oh, this okay, time. you're fine. Yeah, we got them all. You're four. We got them all. Okay. Are we just gonna cross over this whole time? No. no. Okay. I don't. Have, you're, 
Yes, I, yeah, yeah. Like, okay. You were like, there's only three films, or two films. There's like a small film. There were three films. I was like, we're going to have crossover. And you're like, I think there's only two. And I was like, <laughs> well, Winter Soldier, I didn't know if we would have crossover. Yeah, on. Josh, that was the Winter one. Just the best okay. Film All right. Here we go. What's your th- what's your four? John Wick. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter two. <laughs> uh, what? Uh, Spider Man uh, into the Spider Verse. Spider Man into the Spider Verse. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good time. Good. Okay, moving on. Yeah. So, it is 2018, and we've had we've had three Sam Raimi films. Maybe two Mark Webbs. I know Mark Webb did the second one for mm-hmm. sure. He did the first one. Yeah. Um, one directed by like sixteen people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sixteen people under the pseudonym of Francis John, John Watts. Oh, John Watts. Yeah. Francis John Francis Daly must have written it then. Yes, that's true. Okay. Um, I think he directed Game Night. Yeah. Good. Him and his writing partner. Him hey, and his... Listen, could have yeah. been much worse. True story. First times. Okay, anyways. So we have had all, all of these integrations of Spider-Man, right? Uh-huh. And while the Spider-Man story has been done well all but one of those times, we come to this time... <laughs> sure, fine, whatever. Uh-huh. What? We did, we did fine with Homecoming. <laughs> Yeah, I like Homecoming. Yeah, we didn't do well with Amazing Spider-Man. I I think there are only three above average Spider-Man films. Okay, no, I was like like each chunk. Oh, okay. Like, so, so okay, so, okay, I understand what you're saying. So we yes. we only we really screwed up the second time. The second time, yes. we're like real bad. Yeah, we're anyways. So we come to a point where we've seen Spider-Man before. We know the story. And we've seen so many superhero films at this point. We haven't seen as many animated superhero films. This is like, there's The Incredibles, the Lego Batman. There's all the other Batman animated. But and like, there is offshoots of like the animated series yeah. and the like the, I don't know, like Marvel and DC make these hour and a half long animated cartoons, but they're not mainstream and they're not released. They're like direct to home video. Yeah, no one cares about them. Yeah. Except for kids. Except so, for Mask of the Phantasm. I got a theatrical release. Yeah, it did. Um, so, we get into the Spider-Verse, and it tells the superhero story, where you have this kid who becomes Spider-Man by bad place at the wrong time, just I'm like, like always. You. I'm like you. <laughs> I'm like you. <laughs> and what it does is it creates all these different versions of Spider-Man or Spider-People that can exist within this world in these alternate dimensions, and it brings together this idea that everyone has the potential to be a hero. Now, not all of us can, like, shoot webs out of our hands, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think he can. I think it's a... Does he got a machine? Yeah, it's a okay. machine. Yeah. But, like... In all of these different versions and how everyone is different and how everyone's powers are, like, weird and, like, there's a telekinetic robot or something, the spider... (laughs) Sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. There's always this sense of that if you have the power to do something good, you should do something good. If I'm empowered, I have a responsibility. I got it. I got it, Uncle Ben. 
But what Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse does is it brings together all these strange different characters who all have the same power ostensibly. They just use it differently. And, like, they're all different. And they have their unique story, but, like, they support each other. And, man, what if we all just came from a different background and we just supported each other in our struggles and our loneliness? And that... That Miles Teller has people he can talk to about all of these things, and James Franco isn't there trying to kill us! What? Miles Morales, not Miles Teller. <laughs> I just. You're right! It is! It's not super stupid Captain Fantastic or Mr. Fantastic, whatever his name is. Here we are, and Miles Morales is just trying. He's just, he just wants to be a normal kid and, like, connect with his family. Like, he does, because he finally has the confidence. I love that <laughs> the film can be distilled down into three words. Three very simple words that they say so much. You're like me. I'm like you. Oh. No, it's you're like me. You're like me. Sorry. You're like me. Yeah. You're like me. And that is the mission statement of the film. It is the vision. It is the values. It is everything that wraps up there. And it's every time you see someone who's like you, you can just like, oh, you're like me. Should and I just start saying that to children? Yeah, right. You're, you're like, like me. me. Yeah. Wait, what? What? what <laughs> What's up, danger? Um, <laughs> and it's just... This core value that sticks through this whole film. Now, now, not only that, not only do we meet these wonderful characters and we meet, you know, we get a Peter version of Peter Parker. We get two versions of Peter Parker, let's be honest. Uh, and we see Spider-Gwen and, 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 and Spider-Ham and we see uh, Spider-Man Noir and all the different ones that we come across. The core of this film is so solid, and it has to be. The script, the structure, what happens in this film has to stay so on brand and so on point that there's a clear through line for Miles and Peter B. Parker that everything else can be, like, wonky, timeliney, mishy-moshy, Spider-Verse nonsense. And it's, again, a film about world-building because we know that Sony is like, great, I want to build this Spider-Man universe that's separate from this MCU Spider-Man universe so we can still use all our spider properties and i get that that's the reason why these things are happening but it doesn't feel like the reason why they're happening when you're watching this film this is just saying we want to introduce you to this idea to these people that being a superhero isn't inherently easy easy but i'm also gonna say that it's not inherently a privileged act and i think a lot of times by seeing that most superheroes presented are straight white males and in this one, we see a person of color play a superhero. We've seen Wonder Woman play a superhero. We've seen lots of different ideas of what heroes can be. And it's taking this idea and saying there is no inherent privilege of being a superhero. There's no carbon. There's no cookie cutout. Yeah. Anybody can do this. And I we got a pig. I Yeah. We got a man from the 40s bunch of nazis we've got a small girl and a robot you know um a small girl from is she from i'm gonna go with japan japan okay uh and her robot you know we've got all these different the versions. robot's controlled by a spider that she has a yeah, telepathic yeah. connection to um, penny b Par- or penny parker is yeah great and so it, that's what I love about what this film is. On top of the fact that like it's got a wonderful soundtrack, moving emotional characters, that moment where 
Miles' dad goes to his dorm room and is trying to get him to open the door. Open the door, and he and he can't. He physically can't. Is just beautiful. Um, the reveal of Mahershala Ali, his uncle. Like, if you're not familiar with the Miles Morales story and and how it begins, like that reveal is very emotional and very strong. And even if you are familiar, I think it works really well. Uh, the Prowler character, and that's using the Uncle Ben esque in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. And turning it on its head. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like, it takes that uncle. Like, oh, that's such a good point. Because, yeah. like, to us, Uncle Ben is like the. Uncle Ben and Pa Kent, like, they always just come off as, like, the right to do yeah. kind of figures. But what this one is, is, like, he is very supportive of his nephew in the same way, but his actions towards society are not yeah. equivalent. And yeah. so it makes it a little bit more complex. Also, I don't want to move on from Into the Spider-Verse without us talking about the animation. I mean, even just by saying the sentence, the animation is beautiful is kind of short-shifting this movie. Go watch this movie. It's gorgeously animated. Like, it's it's really well done. And it's smart. It's clever. Yeah. Spider-Verse. Nicholas Cage's fourth superhero film. Ghost Rider, Ghost Rider 2, Kick-Ass, <gasps> and Spider-Verse. Oh, it's fifth. Oh, what did I miss? Um... He's the voice of Superman in Teen Titans. Oh, movies. he is, yeah. <laughs> there you go. I totally forgot he was in Kick-Ass. Yeah. The, the one where he's... Big Daddy. Yeah. Not Big Papa. Not Big Papa. <laughs> Big Daddy. I like it when you call me Big Papa. Sorry. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, hard, so can Hardball be my favorite yeah, superhero? Yeah, there you go. Hardball. There it is. All right. Um, My number three... I almost guarantee you have on your list. Um, and I would rather just like talk about it where it is on your list because I think it's higher on your list. Oh, okay. So we can like, I'll just say the name and then we can move, unless it's also your number three. It's not because Captain America was my number three. Okay, so my number three is The Dark Knight. Okay. Great. What is. <laughs> it's, okay. number, my, it's my number two. Okay, perfect. So like, it's actually. We might as well just talk about it now, because otherwise you're going to throw it back to me, and then we're going to say, well, we oh, just okay. talked about Winter Soldier. All right. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> okay, I guess it's fair enough to talk about this, because like, then we'll do, because I was trying to, like, we're doing my two and three back to back, is what we're going to do. And then we have, I do we have the same number one? We have to. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you were like, do you not think I'd have your number one on here? I don't know. Like, I I know you like it. I just oh didn't. Oh my gosh. Okay. Josh! All right. Good. Okay. I'm I'm glad that we have the Josh! same number one. Okay. Fine. Let's do. Wait. Ghost Rider. <laughs> no. Sorry. Lego Batman. Okay, but we each then have a. Wait. Do we each have a film left that's not The Dark Knight and our number one? So my five was Logan. Okay. Into the Spider Verse. Uh huh. Then Captain America. Oh, okay. And then Dark, Dark Knight. Knight. And then... Okay, so let's do this. Let's do. Let's get the odd man out of the way. My number two is Black Panther. Okay, and let's do that, and then we'll do Dark Knight, and then we'll like we'll reveal our number one if you couldn't already figure out what it is. Um, the reason I want to do Black Panther, I guess, right now, even though I have Black Panther higher than Dark Knight, we just talked about Into the Spider Verse, <laughs> and it came out the same year. It came out the same year. It's interesting that we bookend with. We booked end that book ended that year with like two superheroes that are focused on, or two superhero movies focused on superheroes of color, but also kind of dealing with like 
the responsibility of like being a superhero and yeah. who you are to your people and everything. And I wonder, I mean, those I think are themes that are big in cult, in um, our communities and our, in our society right now as well. And film in general, popular film in particular, is always, whether our culture wants to realize it or not, a reflection of who we are and what we're going through. And sometimes it's more of escapist than others, but it's clear, I think, the reason why films about what you mean to your society and what your leaders mean to your society... I think it's very important that, that those... It's very clear why those are films here. Um, I've talked about Black Panther a lot, so I didn't want to spend a ton of time on Black Panther. Oh, but we spend all the time you need. It's good. It I, opens. <laughs> we're in... We're in California. Oakland. We're in Oakland. Yes. There's some kids playing a basketball... I haven't seen this film in over a year. <laughs> There's some kids playing a basketball game. Uh-huh. Mm, and then it's we go. It's not quite the opening opening shot. We kill Stern K. Brown. Uh huh. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> no, it's it fine. opens in the first six minutes. <laughs> um, I mean, technically, the first shot is this weird, like, uh, the 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 not vibranium. Um, vibranium? Yeah, it's vibranium. The stone falling to earth and like the history of Wakanda. Oh, and... okay. Okay, anyway, but then we very quickly smash cut to Oakland. We don't need to go in a shot by shot of Black Panther, um, though we could. The tattoos on their bottom lip. I wanted to at least speak on a little bit of why Black Panther has instantly come in and become so high on my list. Um, and I think there is a lot... I, I'm trying to, trying to look past if there is any recency bias here. But I have a lot of films on my list. As I said in the last episode, The Rocketeer and Batman Returns are the only two that I have prior to the return of the millennium. And even still beyond that... That's 2000. Yes. Yeah, but to be fair, they weren't good before then. I mean, that's what I was going to say too, is especially within the last 10 years, this is when I think we see the rise of the superhero genre as not only a popular medium, but a respected medium. And maybe not even respected in the worst of like, it's going to be the most respected genre of all time, but there's a lot of work being done in the medium, and it's kind of the only game to play in studio filmmaking right now. So you get filmmakers who are going to give it some more due time and respect because it's what they can do. Ryan Coogler with Black Panther. Not that I don't... I don't want to put a lot of labels onto people of other things, but, like, because this has been a harmful label before, but, like, in my brain, if there is somebody who is going to be the quote-unquote next Spielberg, and what I mean... It's Ryan Coogler. And what I mean by that is he understands that popcorn blockbuster filmmaking is important and can speak to the times that we live in and should speak to the times that we live in. And I think that in many ways, if you look at Jaws and Close Encounters and E.T. and Jurassic Park and Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan and as you go down the list... But not all- Indiana? I mean, Jones is just kind of fun. Like, I'm not sure if there's... It's him and his buddy making a film together. Yeah, it's really good, but, I, you know... You're right. There's not much... He's not saying much with society about yeah. that, other than it belongs in a museum. But he has more adult themes in a lot of his other films. And and Coogler, when you look at... Even taking Fruitvale Station aside, because it's, it's a very small film. It's not it's not a, a big blockbuster film. When you look at Creed, and when you look at Black Panther, 
he's saying something. He's talking about our culture. And in Black Panther in particular, he's using this medium of superhero to tell a very relevant, prescient story about what your leaders, how they can be in control, the good and the bad of that, what it means to be yourself. He talks a lot to the um, African-American experience. He talks a lot to what it means to be black in the world. He talks a lot about what it means to just struggle in the world. But he also shapes us in this way where you relate to these heroes, you see these heroes, you can, everybody can look at a Black Panther, uh, at T'Challa, and be like, oh yeah, this is a very standard hero, struggling with very standard hero's journey stuff. But then you, this this powerful movement of Eric Killmonger, and what he adds to the story, and he's wrong in so many ways. And we've, go back to the Aquaman episode, we talk a lot, actually, about Black Panther in that Which episode. Strange. Um, but we also talk a lot about Aquaman in that episode. Well, yeah. So, no worries. He's my man. He's my man. Uh, I just wanted to say that I think Black Panther represents the next phase of of superhero film and when, when history looks back on black panther it's going to be the film out of this this era that we're like oh no this is saying more than most films in the genre it's it's with dark knight black panther and our number ones i think they are the heightened they are the pinnacle of their era of superhero filmmaking and like our number one i think is is actually the pinnacle of the past era even though it's in the millennium it's still representing more of the 90s and 80s stuff and then dark knight represents that mid era trying to figure out what superhero films are and like it kind of really establishes a lane to play in as iron man's establishing the other lane to play in and everybody was like yeah this dark knight lane is gonna be the great one it's gonna be there and then Zack snyder took it over and blew it up and then Iron Man was just like, hey guys, well, billion! Well, it's interesting that we put them next to each other of this Dark Knight and this Black Panther because I think that the reasons why they're poignant are not because they're comic booky films. There are comic booky elements to both of them. Yeah. There are some things that are a little bit like, meh, but like, where you're kind of like, logic! <laughs> yes. But what they do is they establish themselves outside of just Cape Crusader sort of thing. It's just, a Cape Crusader story plot. Yes. And they actually, like, I don't know, have a plot that I can't just pick up any of your comic books down here and find in. Yes. And so I think that that's one of the reasons why they're going to stand out is because they have a different tone to them. They have a different feeling and message where it actually feels like a, like a script, a film. Like, I can yes. feel... I'm gonna say grit, but I don't want to say it's gritty. Like I can feel the grit of a movie on my teeth, well, and then you... it's not just a like, it's not just like one of them silly superhero films. You talked about, and I can't remember which specific film, but you talked about like there's like a tactile nature to the films, and like it, the crow, the crow, and you feel like there's a real element to it. And I would say that that's true about Dark Knight and Black Panther, even with their technology advances and stuff like that. You know, mm -hmm. um. Yeah, I don't have too much else to say about Black Panther. Like I said, go through our history of our archives. We have a Black Panther episode, the Aquaman episode. We've got the best of last year episodes. So it's discussed a lot. So yeah. Um, moving on to Dark Knight. So my number three, your number... Two. Two. Um, we also have a Dark Knight episode. So... Well, yeah, but like, maybe we should talk a little bit. <laughs> I do want to talk about Dark Knight, but I want you to go, lead. What What? what do we got Dark Knight? You know, it's a, it's a real film. Yeah. <laughs> Um, 
so this comes out, so Batman Begins comes out in 20, 2005, and in the last episode, we kind of looked around about the years right around there, mm-hmm. and uh, superhero movies pretty, kind of just sucked. Yes. And it was not a great time, and I, I think that Batman Begins comes out, and it's probably one of the better films to come out of 2005. Mm-hmm. And then... I think everyone's kind of like, oh, I'll go see another Batman film. Superhero films continue through, and there are some that are good and some that are not good. But I think that the genre itself has no real respect for it by m- most film critics. Mm-hmm. And and to an extent, an, an average film-going audience. Yeah, absolutely. But then what The Dark Knight does when it comes out is that it's like, oh, hey, we came to play ball also. Now, this also opens up a uh, bad wormhole in which, like, people who, the aggressive fans of The Dark Knight, who, who, like, have their arms crossed and are angry about things, are like, finally, people will take my stuff seriously. Which has become a bit of a toxic culture within our society and film culture. But... In a way, yes, your this material was taken seriously and put into a role-ish world context of things. Yeah. And it was made with artistic flair and with passion and with stealing things from the crow. But... <laughs> <laughs> but I, he does that very intentionally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, and the performances of this film are very 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 good and a lot of times in older act in older superhero films in especially in the 2000s the acting is subpar for most of it there are some very shining achievements and some very like golden stars on a lot of these actors but for the most part it feels like they were looking for aesthetics for their superheroes rather than for a good performance and i think that with the dark knight Christopher Nolan does a good job of casting people who are going to play the roles that he needs. And I know that part of it was started with Batman Begins, mm-hmm. but it's even pushed further. The- yeah, he uses Bale and Freeman and Kane and Oldman, who he establishes in Batman Begins. But he uses them further. I, yes. Maybe Bale less, but that's because... First one is boring. <laughs> it's it's similar to one of the things I did want to talk about is so rewatching Batman Returns, mm-hmm. it's similar plotting in the sense of <laughs> oh sorry for a minute I was thinking you watched Batman Forever I oh, forgot no. which one was which and I was like you finally ready to put that sucker down <laughs> no not yet have you rewatched it recently I need to I need to um because I but I also want to like hold it in my like somewhat like this was fun right it was fun. Um, the similarities between Batman Returns and The Dark Knight are very similar because essentially Burton and Nolan do the same thing with their Bruce Wayne character. They kind of sideline him. They kind of, at the beginning of the film, say, hey, you're the shining knight of Gotham. And then by the end of the film, what they're doing is they're saying the villains are saying, specifically, there's a very similar conversation between Catwoman and Penguin and Two-Face and Joker, saying, 
Yes, what we need to do is we need to take down the to... icon of Batman. We need to kill the Batman. We need to kill the Batman. Or not even just saying that we need to kill the Batman. We need to drag his name through the mud. We need to kill his reputation. And that's literally a plot point in both films. And it's this idea that this second chapter of a Batman installment needs to be the one that takes Batman down a peg. You know? And and that's, I think, what's really great about it. I struggled with where to place Bat, uh, the Dark Knight because I think it's a, it's an amazingly made film and if you want to say the just film credentials are the best superhero film of all time sure fine great but there is also an argument to be made that it's not really a superhero film like it is such a, a, a story of crime, crime and this vigilante hero and like uh, Commissioner Gordon plays such a central role to this film that it's more akin to something like The Town than it is to something like Black Panther, you know? And so, there... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know? No, and that's the argument of it, of like, is Batman or is The Dark Knight a superhero movie? And or yes, is it... at the end of the day it is, but it, he does a lot of interesting things with that. Can I tell you, just for context, because I was doing some research while you were talking. Sure. Can I tell you every film that comes out between Batman Begins and The Dark Knight? Oh, Ghost Rider. Okay, so... Rise of the Silver we've, we've We've read some of these, so just based on release dates. Sharkboy and Lava Girl, Constantine, Elektra. Superman Returns, X-Men 3 The Last Stand, TMNT, Spider-Man 3... Ghost Rider, Rise of the Silver Surfer, uh, The Incredible uh, Iron Man, so Iron Man, The Incredible Hulk, Hellboy 2, Hancock, and then The Dark Knight. Like, outside of, I don't know, Iron Man and Hancock, there are a whole lot of garbage in there. Is Hellboy 2 bad? I don't know if it's bad. It's just, I have it like a two out of five. Like, it's just a retread of Pan's Labyrinth. But I don't think, I I wonder if history would be kinder to that movie, meaning like a rewatch would do it some good Mm -hmm. and to release some of those things. But interestingly enough, as I was doing the research for the research dates or for the dates here, when Dark Knight comes out, it's midway through July. Hulk, Hellboy, and Hancock are all in theaters. They all opened up less than a week or less than three weeks prior to that movie opening. I saw one of those films in theaters. Which one, Josh? I'm going to say oh, Hellboy 2. No, Hancock. Oh, okay. I saw Hancock in theaters. Hancock's fine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jason Bateman's in it. Uh, Charlize Theron's in it. Yep. She throws him yep. through a fridge. All right. Any other... Like I said, we have an episode on The Dark Knight. So, um, any other thoughts that you want to share specifically on The Dark Knight and why it's uh, so high on our lists? Yeah, it also kind of ruined the Oscars. Yeah, now there's ten-ish films. <laughs> Not Green Book one. No, <laughs> I don't think that's the Dark Knight's fault. But if there weren't, you could also okay. The the devil's <laughs> advocate side of that is you could also say you don't get Black Panther's nomination without the Dark Knight missing because essentially they opened up that spot for films like the Dark Knight, mm-hmm. and then there's a very big argument to be said. Yeah, but there was nothing worthy in the superhero genre of that conversation again until Black Panther. And as soon as something was worthy again, it was there. I know, fanboys, I understand The Dark Knight Rises exists and it's the greatest third movie that's uh, ever existed everywhere. The 
I can but devil's advocate. Whatevs. The other, I mean, like, uh, so other than just superhero films, but like big, like, I mean, popcorny blockbusters yes. that it deserved. I think that I think the first film that it actually opens it up for is Mad Max. Yes, Fury Road is absolutely there because of the Dark Knight. Of the Dark Knight, yeah. And I mean, you could then also say because it opened up like something like Up gets in there, and that's more of a popcorny fair or something, you know. And so, yeah. Toy Story three. Yes. So the legacy of the Dark Knight is long and strong. Um, and let's all give up on it. Do you have? I mean, it's good. It's good times. It's good. It's good times. What did we pair it with? <coughs> Venom? 2008. Venom? Oh, no, we paired it with Venom. Because it was the 25th anniversary of Dark Knight. Or 10th anniversary of Dark Knight. Yeah. Uh, do you have honorable mentions? I was going to just read my 11 through 15 Woo! as my honorable mentions. Sure do, Josh. All right. Iron Man. The Incredibles. X-Men. Days of Future Past. X2. Batman 89. Kick-Ass. Batman, Mask of the Phantom. I have so much Batman. Aquaman, Batman under the Red Hood. I didn't get to rewatch Blade. Okay. <laughs> Which like I wanted to because right. like maybe Blade would be here, but I just put it here just in case. Okay, great. <laughs> and Judge Dread, twenty. Dread, just Dread. Dread, yeah. No, not Judge. <laughs> not, Dread. not Judge Dread. Okay. Dread. Dread. Okay, uh, I'm gonna do then. You did ten there. I'm just gonna roll through my twenty through eleven in order from twenty up. Spider-Man: Homecoming, Civil War, Days of Future Past, Spider-Man One, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, Iron Man: Incredibles, X Two, X-Men United, Mystery Men, and Batman Eighty Nine. I love Mystery Men. FYI, like that's a silly movie that I'm just on board with. Like it was back and forth for me to be like, do I want to include the Rocketeer or Mystery Men? And I feel like I maybe put Mystery Men on a list at some point sometime recently. I don't really know if I did or not, but yeah, that one is great. Somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me. I know everyone thinks that that's associated with... It is associated with drag. It is. I know that everyone thinks that that's the... That Shrek's the birthplace of that. It's not. I want everyone to remember that it's Mystery Men. I mean, I think it was a song before Mystery Men, but yes, Mystery <laughs> Men used it in film first. Never forget. Never forget. The Waffler! What? <laughs> um, alright. Uh, our number one combined together. Uh, three, two, one. Spider-Man 2. I was really afraid you were going to say Teen Titans go to the movie. No, no, I told you that was number four. Yeah, but as a joke. Oh, okay. No, I was ready. I was like, we should do it together. Okay, give me again. Our number one. Three, two, one. Pop, pop. <laughs> Keep all that in. Keep it in. <laughs> Keep it in and double it. <laughs> Spider-Man 2, everybody. Here it is. Batman 66. No, shut up. What are you doing? <laughs> no, you don't have to shut up. There wasn't a real shut up. There was a pretend shut up. I would never tell you for realsies to shut up. Batman Under the Red Hood. We gotta deal with our bats. Yeah, you didn't talk about Under the Red Hood. I like Batman Under the Red Hood. It's, I haven't seen it in a while. It's a good one. It's right there. I, uh, Josh, there's a lot of movies in this room that I just, like, haven't seen out of mm, ignorance. I own ten Batman films. He, well, you... Just, like, own all of the ones. I mean, like, you have all of... You don't have all the theatrically released ones, but you have... Which one am I missing? Batman v Superman. Oh, yes. But you have all the rest of them, and so if you're if you're down to collect the all of 
Yeah. The superhero films, like, yeah. you'll have the most of Batman because he has the most. Spider-Man's gonna be coming soon. You're not gonna have all of them, though. No, there's two that I'm missing. Yeah, but you... Will miss, be missing. Yeah, no. unless you're gifted upon them, but yes. I'm not that cruel. <laughs> this is my main priority. Yes, right, over there. Although, like, I'm looking at this and I'm like, mm, sheesh, maybe that should be my priority. No, I know, right? Like, this is the Spielberg pile. <laughs> Um, You're like, I'm going to bring out all my Spielbergs, and it's like, oh. <laughs> but I'm not really missing that. I'm, it's like 10. I'm missing 10, I think. It's just because he has such a big career. Yeah. Um, the only Batman that I want over there that I don't have is Mask of the Phantasm. Mm. So they have over at Target, and I just have to convince Anne to let me buy it at one point. She's not here right now. It's $80, and they have the entirety of Batman the Animated Series... Plus Mask of the Phantasm and another one that I can't remember. Oh, the Sub-Zero one that they released. Mm. I really want it. But it's $80. I gave her a $100 gift card. Just, just don't just don't eat for... I, I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> just just don't eat for a week. <laughs> yeah, I bought groceries, Anne. I don't know. And then this just appeared. I don't know how. <laughs> Kylie gave it to me. Yeah. All right, Spider-Man 2. Sam Raimi's 2004 film? Mm, yeah, 4 is the right year. Yeah, I keep throwing out, like, yeah, it's yeah four. superhero yeah. films at this time weren't good. And then I'm always like, yeah, but X2 was there. But so they're not. Like, if you look at the quantity of them, they're not good. Like, in terms of quantity. Like, in terms of quality, too. Like, outside of Incredibles, Spider-Man 2, X2. This is a rough patch from 3... 2003 to 2008 is rough. Or 7, if you want to count 8 as a good year. But, yeah. So I know that I love Tom Holland mm -hmm. more than life itself. Mm -hmm. And I think he does well as a modern times Peter Parker. Yes. But I think that Tobey Maguire, I know that so many people just hate his performance. And I'm like... What do you hate about it? Do you hate that he's a... Because they're always like Toby McCryer. And I'm like, do you hate that, like, this man is feeling emotions? He's feeling showing, feelings? Oh, no. And showing sh showings? <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh, yes, of course. Yeah, showing yes, showings. Yes, 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 yes. Mm -hmm. And then I'm just like, why... Why is this the film? Like, why is it Toby McGuire that everyone is just like, eh, he was terrible? When he's just such a sensitive and in tune with this character and what a nerd like Peter Parker would have been at the early 2000s. Yes. This is exactly the Peter Parker we need. We don't need the Peter Parker of 2011, which we get with Andrew Garfield. And we also don't need the Peter Parker of the 90s at this moment, and we don't need the Peter Parker of 2018-2019. The beautiful thing about the Peter Parker character is, his core is still Peter Parker. You know what he is. Nerdy science kid who gets bitten by a spider. But that means so many different things to so many different eras that... That he's got this malleable quality to him, and would I say that Tobey Maguire is the Peter Parker that I grew up reading? No, no. Is he a Peter Parker that is recognizable to fans of the comics? Somewhat, not particularly, but somewhat. Is he his own very specific version of the character that still looks, breathes, feels, and acts like a Peter Parker looks, breathes, and acts and should? Yes. 
he's Peter Parker in his own way of playing that character. And I would not want him to try to be anything different than his version of the character. Similarly, where I don't care for Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker, but I appreciate that it's his own take on the character. It's his own version of the character. Mm -hmm. And Tom Holland might be the closest to on-page Spider-Man that we've ever seen. I mean, the Miles Morales one is in Into the Spider-Verse is very much... Miles Morales. Miles Morales. But Tom Holland's yeah, Peter Parker. Peter B. Parker is pretty darn. <laughs> it's like if Tobey Maguire was still being Peter Parker, sure. Um, I, 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 I'm pretty sure Tobey Maguire died. I'm pretty sure his Spider-Man is dead. Is he supposed to be Chris Pine Peter Parker? I'm pretty sure, right? Yeah, right? yeah, totally, right? yes. Um, so. Oh my gosh, perfect. Oh, uh, uh, Pine Parker. Sorry, I'm so sorry. I, I think that what's really good... Well, Chris Pine was in two of my films that made this list. Man, look at you. <laughs> um, I think that what makes these films work for me is that you tapped into it very early, is that Tobey Maguire is able to capture an emotional element to Peter Parker and give him a more sensitive side. And I know that like that comes off a little harsh sometimes and it comes off a little like jarring but that's what I love about it it gives him this other side of things specifically why Spider-Man 2 why is Spider-Man 2 the best superhero movie and I think what it does is it takes all of the elements that we've been talking about all of these elements of camp and real actual emotion and all of these elements of real world storytelling because Spider-Man 2 is if nothing else a very large reaction to 9-11 and it's very clear that this is a reaction to that story and it comes out in a post 9-11 world it is a film that also takes a classic character and allows him to feel and remain a classic character not only with peter parker but mary jane and aunt may this uh rosemary harris will forever be i stand rosemary harris like she's great she is Aunt May. She is everything that character needs to be. J. Jonah Jameson and J. Uh, J. K. Simmons as that character is everything I need that character to be. Uh, sexy Beast Alfred Molina is on point as Doc Ock and like as James mad scientist. Franco. Sexy Beast James Franco. No, he's not a sexy beast. As a um, whiny. As whiny <laughs> Franco. I'm, I get like if you want to critique anything about this movie, Franco is. Franco's underwritten in this movie, and therefore he as a performer who's a little bit of a weaker performer at this point in his career Franco isn't is great. Grieving son in this, yes, and he there's not an issue with him having to show that emotion of grieving, but all he does in this film is grieve. To I understand that grieving is a big thing, but like unless you're telling a story about grief and loss and ha da da da. That character is feels so one-noted in a lot of ways. The point of him that I like the most is actually at meh, kind of the climax. One of the... His <laughs> only active choice of the movie. Where he sees that it's his friend. And then, like, once again, that character now is grieving a different sort of loss. Yes. And you're like, oh, man. And he has to make an active choice. He has to choose to either let let his grief go... Or, like, let the grief go and save, help save the world, or continue to wallow in his grief and destroy everybody along with him. 
And that could have been portrayed a lot more clear. That choice is what that choice is there. But specifically for his arc, nah, it's hard to get that on first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth watch. Harry... What's his last name? Harry... Osborne. Osborne. Harry Osborne is a character who I... In the first Spider-Man, he's also there. And yeah. he's kind of just like rich friend. And James Franco doesn't get too much there either. Mm-hmm. We're like our interest in Harry Osborne is because we're like, whoa, Norman Osborne has something <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. But that's a character who in the first one doesn't get much, in the second one gets a little gets a few crumbs more. And like the payoff is supposed to be on Spider-Man 3. And it's not and it's not there because we've never established him. I think we could spend more time establishing him in that film if we didn't have to deal with, with Venom. Venom. Which is what which is what Raimi was clearly building towards, and then they said, No, you can finish off your hobgoblin storyline, but you also have to cram Venom in here. We need to set up Venom as a character in this universe. Which we didn't. We could have saved that for I think a four if that was gonna happen, which apparently it was at one point. Um but Moving all of that aside to, to putting Harry Osborn a little bit in the back burner, the story that we tell of Peter Parker questioning his role as Spider-Man is this beautiful story of trying to find out who you are in this world after tragedy. And as I said, we come to this point after 9-11 where we as a society, I think, are trying to question who we are in the face of tragedy. Do we Are we a person who wants to just retreat and be with our family and try to just be with the ones that we love? Or are we a person that wants to try to have a, a more responsible role in the world and a more active world in saving our world? But that's a hard choice because we know that by letting our family responsibilities lapse and going out and being an active participant in the world, there's a chance that we are neglecting our loved ones and then that's what peter struggles with and he's neglecting his loved ones he doesn't know how to be an active human in society and in his family and this is the goal that he has to learn and he has to learn to let people in to his world and let people into his struggle and he also struggles with feeling like a hero because in this film doesn't he doesn't it he feel like he's losing his powers yeah as absolutely it goes on? and yeah. so like in this post 9-11 world, a lot of people probably felt like they couldn't do good anymore. Yeah. And that's what Spider-Man is also going through. Like, with everything that's happening, how can I stand up to it? Yeah. How can I even be the hero? And so, like, that's the other thing of him having to regain that confidence and realizing that his power and the responsibility he has to his society is fueled by the responsibility he has to his loved ones yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Alfred Molina's great. Greatest supervillain ever made. I just think that he's this perfect combination of this person who you understand, but he's a very dangerous scientist. Like, he disregards lots of rules and regulations and, like, human safety to do his experiments. And that's what makes him this perfect mad scientist. Because you know that he loves and cares about people, 
but he's willing to do too much for science. He's willing to do too much to, to prove what he can do. And that's what makes him so unique and wonderful. And then he's a more pained version of Doc Ock than I think we see in the comics. A lot of times with Doc Ock, we just see him as like, ma scientist doing evil science things. And I know that belittles that comic character in my sentence, but that's not always what he is. But here, I think because... Yeah, we, sometimes he's Spider-Man. Sometimes, he, oh my gosh. That arc is so good. Have you read any of that arc? No, I've never read the Superior Spider-Man. So good! I really like Superior Spider-Man. Um, John had it for a while, and I read a lot of that arc. And it's so good. And just... Oh, yeah. So... Should we... Ducks read together? Ducks read together. Yeah, let's do it. Let's get your comic club going. <laughs> um... But here, he's just this... It's almost a smaller story of Doc Ock, and... We are allowed to feel his pain and his agony and his anguish in his character and what makes him who he is. And that, to me, is in in terms of, for me, with um, Doc Ock, Killmonger, and the Joker, and Two-Face, really, in Dark Knight, like, they all are these villains where I don't, I don't need, I need them to be these amazing characters that they are, and I need to understand their story even more so almost as much as as the hero, the hero but in tied in with the hero's story they're so interconnected that it makes sense well the hero is only as good as the villain that they're facing up against and that's one of the differences between telling a cinematic story and you've got 12 not 12 you've got two hours to tell a story and you've got to tie everything into that story whereas in comics you've got a never-ending parade of issues so yes you can have a few you know, monster of the week, so to speak, episodes where you're like, great, here's a villain. He's going to fight him in kind of this story that we're telling. And you don't have that luxury in film. And that's what I like about film. Any other thoughts? Have we successfully said why we think Spider-Man 2 was the greatest, super, combined greatest superhero film of all time? Yeah, well, it's also directed by a nerd, and that helps. It does. There's a love and a passion for these characters. I would say that for all of our top films there's a love and passion for these characters and that's something that comes through and that's with anything when you show love and passion for it well, i mean i mean no there are some passion projects that that <laughs> fail horribly there, well and i think that burton is actually one of the ones who he felt pa i think he felt passionate for making his film yeah i don't think he i don't know if he loves these characters he, you know who he feels passionate for penguin <laughs> that's who he feels passionate for well, I like, think he sees himself as a penguin yeah i do too <laughs> um there has and i've not looked too much into it because my my like my internet like curiosity hasn't peaked out there enough i've seen a few youtubers and youtube videos and just conversations in general about the raimi trilogy not being as great as remembered and I am in, and in hindsight, people are, are looking at it in a new lens. And one of the main things they're attacking is the camp factor of the films. And I just think that I don't think you can fairly judge the camp factor of any pre two thousand eight film because that was something that was baked into the genre. It was just. It took something like The Dark Knight coming in to change the genre, and until then, it's that's a part of what it is. It's it's a big, bold genre playing in big, bold thing. It's basically soap opera with superpowers, and that's what it was. 
there's also, as we were saying, like, in a post-9-11 world up until 2008, most people don't want something that's gritty yeah. and that has to challenge them. We're not ready <laughs> to deal with those emotions yet. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, in 2008, things start to change a little bit. But I am trying. I have... It's, it's all it's always an effort yeah but to, when you're watching a film consider where things were because context is a very important context for society is really important yeah because I always I was like complain to my students about it when they're reading a book like well you have to think about when this was written and yeah. you have to think about what time this all takes place and like but then when I watch movies I'm like well <laughs> Maybe I need to do the same thing. I think that there is, you have to consider the context, you have to consider when it takes place, but it is fair to judge something by current standards in terms of where we are as a culture. I don't mean like that we need to erase culture in any way. I think that we just need to contextualize culture and talk about its flaws as well as its strengths and understand that some of the greatest films of all time can have some really poor things in them or they're not the greatest films of all time and they're not the greatest stories of all time because of these reasons that we now know but we can appreciate the craft of them something that like x2 i was certain x2 was going to make my list because for a long time it was my favorite you know x-men film and it was one of those great things but i rewatched it and i was like you know there's just enough problematic elements in here that I love this film, but I don't want to champion this film right now. The only things about it that I ever remember are Mystique Magneto. Yeah. Because, like, they're engaging as all get out. Yes. Um, Nightcrawler. Because, mm-hmm. like, he's cool. Yeah. Well, like yeah. Hugh Jackman. Um, there are, those are the great elements of the film. Mm-hmm. You know, the Hugh Jackman story, Nightcrawler, and the, but those are the, a lot of the main plot threads of that film. And I think, like, I think that the second one is probably where they use some of these, like, more annoying characters to the best of their ability. Yeah. Like, Jean Grey in the first one, I don't much care for at Agreed. all. I also don't care for Cyclops. I still don't care for him in the second one, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's Hawkeye'd. Yeah. He, I mean, so Hawkeye was Cyclops, but like it's essentially the same thing. It's just annoying. Yes, uh, there are other elements to that film that include um, some real patriarchy nonsense, uh, some real sexual uh, harassment, kind of sexual aggression, Me Too stuff that it's in there. In terms of the Misty character, that is just brushed over. You know, kind of like oh, she understands what the the world that she lives in but the film itself doesn't Mm. um there is some really interesting lgbtq mapping of um meaning the mutant correlation to coming out which is handled pretty sloppily at this point but like because like in the comics in the comics the mutant gene has been used as a metaphor for the LGBTQ community. And, and racism. And racism, yeah. yeah. And uh, just essentially just groups of people who are mm, feeling Marginalized. Against, yeah. yeah. And so, like, to me, if, like, let me make this film now. Yeah, like, no, <laughs> yes. Like, we, uh, we're, we're willing to take more risks and better payouts would come out. But, like, I, that's something about the X-Men comics that has always, like, stood out, is that it's one that has 
far more inclusivity than a lot of uh-huh. other comic books do, just with with race demographics. And even those aren't great, but no. they're trying. They're at least there. You have Professor Xavier, who is in a wheelchair, who has a handicap. You yeah. have um, Magneto, who is a Holocaust survivor. Like... It's so complex, but when I look back at those films, I'm always like, are the complexities always there? And I will say that for X-Men and X2, I'm gonna, for those two films alone, I'm gonna give them a B-plus for effort, because I think that there is effort there, there is attention paid to all of those things. I think it's problematic in the sense of how it's doing it, but I can't. I, this is an area where I don't want to hold 2019, 2018 standards to something that happens back in 2000 and 2004 because we were in a very different time. And the fact that we were even mentioning these things in popular film Making a step. is the step forward there. That being said, I would say from Last Stand moving forward, it drops out of the series. There is no conversation about them being marginalized and making those comparisons in First Class, Days of Future Past, Apocalypse, um, I'm assuming Dark Phoenix. I don't know, but I'm assuming Dark Phoenix. None of the Wolverine standalone films really deal with it. And so it, it's something that I do want to, like, that's why X2 holds up a little bit for me. Um, but there is some elements. It's almost like that's, like... That's almost like one of the ones that's like, we're going to make social commentary in these films. Yes. And then they weren't ready to take it that big of a risk. Yeah. Okay, I have a quick game. Do we have time for a quick game? Yeah, we always have time. All right. Josh, you don't have to be at your thing for two and a half hours. I mean, fair. I just didn't know if this episode was running too (laughs) long. I'm not really sure what we're at here. Oh, you know, three hours. It's fine. Well, it's this two-part episode, you know. Yeah, yeah that's why I made it. Yeah, Josh, you're you're smart. You were like you're smart. You were surprised that I said no. We're gonna do ten, and then a few days ago you were like, "It's a good thing." <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I was like, "Yeah, well," because our our top five would have been like so boring. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, our top five is like pretty basic i would be interested to hear the the listeners top five because i bet there's some stuff that we don't talk about that we've missed Mm -hmm. um and i know that like we talk about some films that are not always beloved by others and i know that we have a little bit of a agreement in our superhero films right now but yeah all right uh brief spoilers for endgame with this game so if you want to be done with the episode and not hear any casting spoilers it's just casting spoilers but if you don't want to hear any spoilers Can for Endgame, do their top build. No, we're not going to do the building order. Um, so in the cast of Endgame, how many of them are Academy Award winners? That is literally <laughs> the game. Really? There are in the cast of Endgame. Am I just doing there winners are or nominees? Eight Academy Award winners for acting. There are eight <laughs> Academy Award winners in the cast. Okay. I will say one of them is not for acting. Robert Redford. Bingo. He got it for directing. Reds. I don't know. That was Warren Beatty. I don't know what he directed. Um, oh, man. I knew this the other day, and I am spacing on it right now. Um, while you keep guessing, I can look it okay, up. Okay, so I have to come up with winners who have yep. won Academy Award for acting. Yes. Now you've got seven left. Yeah. Nikita. No, no. Lupita Femme Nikita. <laughs> Lupita Nyong'o is not in this is film. Is not in this film. Yep. Uh-huh. Um, hmm. 
His win is for directing Ordinary People. He was also nominated. Is Ordinary People the cover where it's like the three pictures? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I always associate that with Kramer versus Kramer, and it's just not that. His his Oscar history is so limited. He's nominated for Best Actor in a Leading Role for This Sting. He is nominated wins for Director for Ordinary People. Wins an honorary award in 2002 for being the creator of Sundance. And then his only other nominations are for Quiz Show, Picture and Director. That's it. All right. Sorry. Uh, Redford. Yes, you got that one. I just want you to know that I have not come up with anyone since you started. I don't think Brolin has one. Brolin does not. He has a nomination. For No Country. Not for No Country. Mm. Is he in that other... Is he in True Grit? No. Mm, is he it's in not a, a Cohen film. Oh, I don't care then. Jonah Hex! <laughs> it's Milk. <laughs> oh! Didn't know he was in it. Yeah. Um. So I'm just doing Endgame? Just Endgame. Yep. This is so hard. There are like a million people in Endgame. <laughs> You're gonna have to think about everybody Everyone. who appears in this film at any point. Okay, let me check... Can I, can I look at... Can I look at picture can i look at the posters of marvel cinematic movies or am i just going from my gut sure you can look at posters i mean they'll give you they'll give you you'll see people it's jeff bridges in it jeff bridges is only nominated uh but it's not in endgame i'm oh, sorry he wins so he won for crazy hurt he's not in endgame yeah because then they have to do the stupid like we're sorry colin fair first we're gonna give you we're going to give you an award. Yeah. Okay, so let's start. The Avengers isn't going to help me. Let's start with Ant-Man. Paul Rudd doesn't have one. Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer does not have Michael one. Douglas. Michael Douglas. There you go. He got two. Bing. Is he the only Ant-Man? Um, <laughs> is he the only Ant-Man? Yes. Okay. Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman. Bingo. Bam. John, John. Oh, William oh. Hurt. William Hurt! There it is! Good pull! Stands next to Colby Smolders with his Oscar. Uh, Carol Danvers. Um, Brie Larson. Brie Larson. Oh, see, that helped me that you said standing next to him. Marissa Tomei. Marissa Tomei! Look at you! You're doing well. And I'm doing well now that I'm at the funeral. <laughs> Gwyneth doesn't have one, does she? Gwyneth, there you go. She has yeah, one? she got one. Shakespeare in Love, my friend. Oh. There it is. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You got or no, sorry. Yes, yeah, six, seven. You got you got one left. Just one. Just one. Man, you did this so much faster than Anne. Uh Anne was great at it. It was fun. But like she had to go like person she got so many people who were nominated before like getting the win. Man, yeah. Well, as soon as I started thinking about this uh whole yeah, people who don't talk that just show up in the film and, like, show off their Oscar and leave? Yeah. yeah. I just need one more. One more. My, well, if I... I was gonna ask, am I allowed to ask if it's a male or a female? But then that would be, like, cheating, because if it's a woman, <laughs> then I don't have to count on my hands. Uh, there we go. Um... Money? No, sorry. <laughs> my finger was dirty. I was cleaning it off. I dusted off a frame Think earlier. About who would do this? Who would do this? <laughs> Don Cheadle doesn't have one, right? No, Don he was Cheadle only. Don Cheadle does not. He was only nominated for Hotel Rwanda. I don't think he has any other Oscar nominations. 
And then mm-hmm. I know that I know that Ruffalo has a ton, but you know he doesn't have a ton of nominations. He has like two nominations. He has two, but no wins. No wins. Sebastian Stan. No, no, <laughs> no. Zero nominations. You took far too long on that one. <laughs> Sorry, I and sent me a text at like the same time. Black Panther doesn't. Is Anthony Hopkins in this film at all? Anthony Hopkins is not in this film. <laughs> but he has an he, Oscar. He got the script and said, ah, no acting required. Don't have Ru- to show up. Renee Russo? Renee Russo does not have a win. Okay. She's a nominated friend. Neither does Robert Downey Jr. Oh, Ruffalo's nominated for three, FYI. For three? He's nominated for Spotlight, the wrestling one, and... Spotlight, Foxcatcher, and his first nom. Supporting actor... Zodiac? Nope. Well, they got it wrong then. <laughs> True story. <laughs> True story. I'm no longer interested in trying to figure out who, what it was. Bradley Cooper doesn't have a win. Right? Bradley Cooper has seven nominations without a win. What a loser. <laughs> I mean, not all of them are for acting, but a lot of them are. Look at these posters aren't helpful. <laughs> Um, True story. Linda Cardellini <laughs> does not have one. Neither does. Okay, so Jeremy. Okay, okay. Uh, let's start at Avengers. I guess. Uh, just let me know when you want this hint. Let me know. They don't have any. Okay. So none of the Avengers, the core Avengers, don't have one. Scarlett Johansson doesn't have one, right? Scarlett does not have one. No, she, she doesn't even have a nomination. Okay. Though she Me- should. Samuel Jackson doesn't. Maria Hill doesn't. Agent Coulson doesn't. <laughs> True story. Coulson also, not an endgame. <laughs> Loki doesn't. I think I got the cast of the Avengers. Frank Grillo. <laughs> Frank Grillo does not have an Oscar. I know it's not in this. It just doesn't even have I think movie. it's funny. I think you're going to kick yourself when you figure out who it is. Is it obvious? Um, yes. Oh, God. No. Maybe it's not obvious that this person has one. Robert Downey Jr. doesn't have one. Nope, just some noms. Chadwick Boseman doesn't have one. Not even any noms. Benedict... Tilda Swinton? Tilda! There it is. Michael Clayton. (laughs) Michael Clayton. There we go. There you go, yep. Tilda. Yep. It's one of those things where you're like, well, she should have an Oscar, but for Michael Clayton? Yeah. Like... That's the that's the one like in the history of Tilda Swinton. That's also from the time of like I don't care about movies. Two thousand seven. Yeah, I'm in seventh grade, Josh. You're not like banging down the door to see Michael Clayton. No, oh, there's a lot of people with noms though. There is. There's a ton of nominations. Um, but yeah, there we go. That's our good that's actors. our fun game. They yeah, did well, yeah, the good actors. Yeah. Should that be my review of, of Endgame? Oh, good, good actors! actors. <laughs> oh, friends, if you want to join this conversation, and why wouldn't you? You can do so at friendofafriendpodcast.squarespace.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes with a five-star review or any star like, review, as well I, as hit that subscribe I, button. Do you think at the cast party? Porty? Get the cast porty. <laughs> the Oscar winners all just sat together. Said, with their Oscars. Yeah, and they yeah. said, you can't sit with us. And Bradley came over with his tray and he's like, they're like, seven noms is not a win, Bradley. Yeah. <laughs> what are his seven noms? Can I do that? <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> Game number two. Hang on, let me pull it up. Uncle Drew? Uncle Drew. Why isn't that in the sports? Oh, it should be in the sports. Yeah, you are right. I don't know what you're doing wrong here. It's funny. 
<laughs> yeah. But at the heart. Yeah. Young blood. Okay. okay. Um, would you like to know how many are acting? Oh, crap. Yes. Four. Does he have some best picture ones that count? Mm-hmm. So those are producing credits. Okay, so one, two for American Sniper. Two for American Sniper. He's got an acting and he's got a producing for that. A Star is Born. Two. Uh, there, for, two so far. For an um, acting and for a best picture. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm at four. You're not done with a Star is Born. Music. No. <laughs> He, did he get an acting though? Best accent? Oh, that's... Yeah, no, acting. You have acting and producing. He has one more? In... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Writing. Writing, screenplay. There it is. Boom. All right, you got... So uh... I'm almost done at this point. <laughs> you got two acting noms left. I have two acting noms left. Uh-huh. <sighs> burnt. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not Burnt. <laughs> Let me know when you want to hint. Is it a romance? Mm, one, sure. Uh, <laughs> I'd like one hint, please. Uh, both films have the same director. Clint Eastwood. No. I'm just not realizing I don't really know what Bradley Cooper has done in his life. Uh, same director and same co-star. Mm. Oh, 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 oh. One of them is for Silver Linings Playbook. Bingo! And now I need to come up with the other one? Do you know the director and the co-star? Well, it's David O. Russell, who uh-huh. used to be a critic starling, and now he just sucks. Because <laughs> he just sucks as a human. <laughs> what did he do as a human? He's like one of the most notoriously hard to hard to work with directors like just he's just a jerk did he get a nom for joy like no not for joy (laughs) uh it's the film in between those two uh he and Clooney almost got almost got like oh Russell and Clooney almost got a fist fight on uh Three Kings I'm like dude who ticks off Clooney enough to get into a fist fight with him yeah he just seems like so chill about everything and doesn't care there's another yeah. film? Yeah. It's, it's American Hustle. It's American Hustle. There it is. Saying that it was with the same co-star, I was trying to think of more romance between them. Um, like, she's in that film. Yes. She's hanging out with Christian Bale. Yes. And he's not. Yeah, so. he's with Amy Adams. Yeah. But they are the co-stars in that movie together. And with Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. The runner it is. Yeah. My favorite runner? Oh. I don't know what my favorite runner is. I mean, I like... What else do I got? I got, like, the house... <laughs> Tag. tag. <laughs> it's tag, everybody. It's tag. Uh, let's... Jeremy Renner. I mean, Hurt Locker. I think I know what your favorite runner is. I haven't seen Hurt Locker. Uh, no, I know that. I'm saying I think I know what your favorite runner is. Oh, man. You know me better than I know myself. It's not Ghost Protocol. Oh, you're right, Josh. You know me so well. Yes. It... Oh, wait. No, there's two. Oh, no, Josh. <laughs> oh, no. What's happening? Oh, no. It's probably Wind River, but yeah. Arrival is really good. Oh, Arrival's good, Renner. I mean, there's also The Town. I do like The Town. Crap. Oh, 
man, there's also the Bourne legacy. Uh, his part in the assassination of Jesse James with the coward Robert Ford is also solid. Oh, man. When are we just going to become a Renner takes? Yeah, great. Uh, Psyducks watch Renner. <laughs> and SWAT. <laughs> 28 weeks later. You can also find us on Facebook at Friend of a Friend Podcasts. Hansel can... and Gretel, which that's, oh, that's I your love, favorite. That's my favorite, Renner. You can also find us on uh, the Twitters. DWT underscore podcast. The Tumblers. Ducks Watch Together. The YouTubes. Ducks Watch Together. The Letterboxd. Derby ACT and Kylie Gallisher. Thank you so much for listening to this Avengers Endgame length episode. I am Josh. This one's both of them combined might be that long. Not this one. Quack, 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 quack. Quack, 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 quack. quack.